Yes, I always feel when I take this off, I have to say, it's me. <laughs> well, it's wonderful to be back with you all, um, and a very, very happy new year to all of you. I know it's a little bit belated, but uh, it's a real blessing to be together and to enter into this new year together as well. It's been difficult, hasn't it? We, we've had a very, very, very difficult Christmas. Um, we couldn't have our Christmas Day service because we had so much COVID going through the church family that we just couldn't justify coming back together. So we had all our plans for our carol service, our Christmas Day service, all laid out, ready to go. And as the Bible says, the best laid plans. Um, we had to redo everything. We had to record everything. We had to um, do all sorts of things that were different. And it was hard. There was some saying to Rachel earlier, there are some decisions that you have to make that you know you can't win. <laughs> you, you just Some people, they're absolutely the right thing to do. Others, it's Christmas Day. Um, it was difficult. Um, in the end, I didn't want to be the, the first minister for 226 years at Downton Baptist Church not to have a Christmas Day service. So we recorded a service for, for everyone, and then I went into church with two or three others, and we had a Christmas Day service. That's just to give you a little bit of background. It's been difficult, but by God's grace, it will be okay. And uh, we're back together again. And to be here with you all today is an immense pleasure and privilege. So thank you for having me. Um, I thought at the beginning of the year, it would be very fitting to start at the beginning of John's Gospel. Um, you will know some of the stuff that I'm going to say to you today because you're all good Bible-reading Christians. And those passages that we've just read, I could hear the silence as we were reading them because they, they resonate with all of us in such a deep way. However, what I'd like us to do is to be able to come out of our service together today, having heard from God impressing on our hearts that Jesus is more than you've even begun to imagine. John's Gospel isn't like the other Gospels, you know that. It has incredible depth, such poetry, such beauty. According to one commentator, John's Gospel is a pool that is safe enough for a child to paddle in and yet deep enough for an elephant to swim in. And that's what it's like, isn't it? You can, you can float over the top of John's Gospel but suddenly you find yourself getting deeper and deeper and deeper into things that perhaps you hadn't begun to imagine yet. The gospel is imposing, it's mysterious, it's inviting, it's welcoming. I think John meets us in a place where we are and then leads us by the hand into unexplored places. It meets you as a stranger and then becomes your very closest friends. Many, many people say that John's gospel was their way into faith. Now, we all know, don't we, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. That is, they, that means that they see everything from a point of view, a similar point of view. There's probably a missing gospel as well that we don't, we don't have anymore, and it feels like they all fit together. These are gospels that reach out to people they describe Jesus' relationship with people, with us. They're gospels that draw us into the world of Jesus, invite us to use our imaginations and bring us close to him. So in effect, they're gospels that reach out wide. 
But John is far more concerned with pointing to who Jesus really is. Everything for him turns on this point. The way, the truth, and the life. The great I am from the Old Testament. Everything that he said and done points to Jesus and then upwards to God, arms up. And so we have four Gospels which create a cross, a cruciform shape to the life of Jesus and to the world. Gospels that reach out, Gospels, a Gospel that reaches up. I think we might say a cross-shaped reality for all of life. The closer we come to John's Gospel, I think the more we feel that it is exactly where we need to stand, between heaven and earth. Now, I think these incredible verses are a complete introduction to all that will follow. By the time you enter the rest of John, you already know what's coming. And indeed, if you've been listening carefully, you also know what it means. Although this passage is often read at Christmas, and you've probably heard it over Christmas, it isn't just about the birth of Jesus. It's about the full meaning of everything that Jesus was and is and did. As I said, you can feel it as you listen to it, reaching up between heaven and earth. This this man is where the kingdom of God and earth touch. Jesus is where heaven and earth touch. He is the stairway to heaven that Jacob, Old Testament, dreamed of. I'll stop that. The more we walk through John, the more we discover that this introduction is complete. In the beginning the word. Now, no one who has any knowledge of the Bible could miss the meaning of in the beginning. Our thoughts, I hope, oh no, it's Old Testament again, sorry. Turn to Genesis, the very beginning of all things, the creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what John is about to tell us don't underestimate it. What he's about to tell us concerns everything. The stars we've been singing of, the, the sun in the sky, the birds, the insects, everything. This is the story of God and of all creation. All that there is. The beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. That is what this is about. Nothing less. It's not just the story of one particular man in one time and place, no. This is about the creator God acting in a new way within his beloved creation. It is about the beginning and how the beginning has reached its climax in the way that the creator always intended. And it will reach its climax 
in the word. So in Genesis 1, the climax is the creation of humanity. Humans made in God's image. Humans made in God's image. The crowning glory of the creation. In John, the climax is the arrival of a human being. The word made flesh. The word made human. God's image. Now when we speak of the word, we speak of a part of ourselves. My word. Your word. That breath that comes from within us. Making the noise that you have given it, the shape that you have made, created by thought, by your mouth, by your lips, by your tongue, by your intention. When people hear it, they know that it has come from you. And yet, words also have a life separate from us, don't they? Words go out from us into the world, for good or bad. Words can change the way people think, the way that they behave. Words create new possibilities, new situations. People respond and are changed. And all of this and far, far more is held within this word. In the Old Testament, God often acts by means of his word. What God says happens. By the, by the word of the Lord, the psalmist says, the heavens were made. God's word is the one thing that will last, even though everything else passes away. God's word will go out from his mouth and bring life and healing and hope to the whole of creation, according to Isaiah. All of this is part of what lies behind John's choice of the word, word. It is his way of telling us who Jesus is. No less than this, and so much more. Now, following our reading of Proverbs earlier, you may, I hope you noticed, I hope you felt it, because the first time I read these passages in Proverbs, it struck me like a lightning bolt. Because what John says about Jesus is what other writers have said about wisdom. Proverbs 8 speaks about wisdom being with God always, from the beginning. But John says, this is Jesus. So when we read Proverbs 8, and I'm not going to read it all again, I'm just going to read little bits of it. Hear Jesus. Listen. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. Jesus. Then I was a craftsman at his hide. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence. Jesus. Blessed is the one who listens to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Jesus. For whoever finds me, finds life.
John, wisdom is Christ. Jesus the Christ is the personification, the incarnation of God's wisdom. The one who was from the beginning, the one through whom all things were made, the way, the truth, life itself. What John is telling us should shake us. It should wake us up to the enormity, the extraordinary, the amazing, beyond words of Jesus. I hope you can feel it. Because I think sometimes we have to feel it more than we can think it. Because it is beyond comprehension what John is saying about this man and who he is. And who we must allow him to be in our lives. Now, many have struggled with this question. How, how, can, how can it be that the one true God be both different from the world and yet active within the world? How can he be remote and holy and yet also intimately present? Some have already spoken of the word and wisdom as ways of answering that question. Some had combined them with the belief that one God had promised to place his own presence within the temple. They believed God was in the temple. Others saw the word and wisdom enshrined in the Torah, in the law itself. And all of this is in John's mind as he writes of God's word. But there's even more to say. He speaks beyond his own people. The idea of the word would also make some readers think of pagan philosophies. These philosophers spoke of the word as a principle of rationality. A rationality that lay within the cosmos and within all people. If you understood this word, your life would have true meaning. So I think John is saying, yes, yes, beyond his own people and all their own understandings of what the word meant to the wider world, to the pagan world. He said, yes, you're right. The word is all of these things, but the word is not a philosophy. The word is not an idea. It's not a doctrine, church. It's not a dogma. John says that the word was and is God and is intimately close to God. And this takes us to a whole new place. John is stretching us, I hope. Stretching our hearts, our minds and imaginations. Why? Because I think that's what Jesus did too. He stretched us to see beyond what we thought was possible. To know God as he truly is. Allow God to be God. Don't shrink him to you. You know, there's a, a famous saying, which I'm sure you come across, which is that God created us in his image in the beginning. 
and we've been returning the compliment ever since. And that's a mistake that we all make. We make Jesus too small. We fit him into our lives, our expectations, our needs, our wants. We don't let him be the one who was with God in the beginning through whom all things were made, who holds and contains all things. The greatness, the bigness, the beyond wordness. That's not a word either, is it? No. The word became flesh became human, became one of us, he became Jesus. And John is poetically and simply saying, if you want to know who the true God is, look right here. Take a long, long look in awe and wonder at this man. And so this passage weaves its beautiful tapestry. The one we know as Jesus is the word who was there from the very beginning. The word through whom all things were made. The one who contained and contains all life and light. He is no less than that. And so, so much more. So I ask again as a challenge to myself and a challenge to you. What would it be like if we walked into this year and we let Jesus be who he truly is. And that we might trust that and live out of that truth. Perfect love drives out all fear. Yes? The word challenged the darkness and the chaos at the beginning of creation. God spoke over the chaos. His word went out, and now that same word challenges the darkness that is found within creation itself and within our own hearts. The word is bringing into being the new creation. God is once again saying, let there be light. But of course, when God sends his word, the world will not recognize him. He sends the word to his own chosen people, the ones that were meant to be the light of the world. That was their glory, to be light to the world. And they didn't recognize him. And this will be the gospel story. Jesus comes to God's people and they do what the rest of the world would have done. They prefer the darkness to the light. That is why, John says, new grace is needed on top of the grace already given. The law pointed in the right direction, but it doesn't take us to the promised land. For that, we need grace and truth that comes through the word, through God's Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. Friends, we can find ourselves here too in this passage. John writes to anyone who did accept him, to anyone who did accept the truth. That means you. That means me. But it really means anyone 
You, you don't have to belong to a particular people or a particular group. You don't have to know all the right words and all the right ideas in the right order. You certainly don't need to be blameless and guilt-free. God intends everyone from everywhere to be born in a new way. Born into his family, the family he is beginning in Jesus. Anyone can become a child of God. something can happen into people in this life, here and now. Something which causes them to become a new people. People who believe and live in God's word. In Christ. People who bring forth then the fruits of God's spirit through faith in that word, in that truth. And love, because God is Ones who believe and live in the name of Jesus the Christ. And so friends, as we make our way into this year, I implore you to let Jesus be who he is. No less than that. To trust that truth and to live out of that truth and the love and the grace that that brings into the world. The fearlessness. You don't need to be afraid. All is well, because he is the word. It's important that you know who you are, who you belong to, so that you can live this new life for you and for the sake, remember, for the sake of the world, of everyone. Today and tomorrow, to the glory of God. So may you know who Jesus Christ truly is, and in your life and love, may you make him known. A very blessed and very, very happy new year again to you all. Amen.